He always seems to get involved, doesn't he? I'm telling you, too many coconuts have hit him right on top of the skull. Well, I think uh, Anthony will be a great acquisition. He can do it all. Avery, whose show is this? And we're live. Welcome, everybody, here to the Lakers Lounge. I'm Anthony Irwin, joined uh, today following a fantastic win the, the, the previous night. And around 24 hours or so, or no, I guess now it's like 16 hours or so, of just ridiculous takes about timeouts and who can call timeouts and all of that stuff. And then uh, hilariously, right before we got going, Yovan Buha of The Athletic is who's joining me. You let me know that you were the pool reporter. So you've been dealing with that in your mentions all day. Uh, are you a timeout yeah. expert now? Like <laughs> apparently, apparently. Uh yeah, it was uh, <laughs> it was a crazy post game kind of waiting on on uh you know finding out when I was gonna be talking to uh the, the referee crew and uh trying to navigate. Uh, I'm in a walking boot, so I'm also not the the most mobile person right now. So it was like going from one place to the other and trying not to miss LeBron uh, post game. Yeah. So it, it was a it was a hectic scene last night. I have I need so many details about this poll report because uh, it has become a subject of Zapruder type <laughs> treatment. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, in Phoenix, um, around the league, Harrison made the great point last night on Twitter that this is how we know that the in-season tournament is now real because there are now conspiracies being thrown out that the league is rigging it for the Lakers. Like, this is... Yeah. <laughs> we have made it. Congratulations to Adam Silver on that. Um, but, yeah, the, the, whole, the whole timeout thing, the thing that I have found the most fascinating and interesting about it um, among several other things, is that Kevin Durant basically came out last night and said it was a play that happened. It was a bang-bang play, but there were plenty of other opportunities to win the game. And then I saw Suns fans going after him a little bit. It's like, no, 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 Kevin. We lost because there's this conspiracy thing over here. And um, I'm just like curious, like in your dealings with with the the, the pool like did the referees recognize that they had made a controversial call? I, I think so. Um, you know, so you submit basically every game. There's a pool reporter. It's usually a uh, you know home reporter that that covers the home team. And mm -hmm. uh, by the end of the game, uh, if you have a request uh, for you know the the referee crew, you have to submit it to the league. Uh, alongside your, your couple of questions, you, you get two questions, and mm -hmm. uh, and then you know they they approve it or you know they give you some feedback and you kind of go back and forth on that, uh, and then uh, they basically send you a Zoom link at some point after the game once the reps have changed and kind of you know gotten ready to leave the arena, and then you basically hop. It's really quick. It's about a one to two minute process. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you, you exchange your pleasantries of, hey, how you doing? Like, and then you just yeah. go straight into, uh, you know, it's, it's very professional in terms of just like, you just ask the questions, that's it. They transcribe it, they post it, and then uh, that's how it works. So uh, didn't really get any other details outside of the transcript that was posted. Uh, but mm -hmm. for me, it was clear based on the, so like, 
you know, I, I had a certain vantage point where I was kind of diagonal from where Austin was. Uh, mm. We sit on the opposite end of, of where the Lakers bench is. So it was kind of right in my uh, you know purview. And uh, so it, it happened so quickly that in the moment, you, you can't really tell, you know, what was the ball loose or was it still in his hands or, or whatnot. But of course, yeah. you see the social media reaction. So at that point, I was talking with some of the other beat reporters and we decided that, um, you know, despite maybe us not needing the pool report, it, it was the right thing to do, uh, yeah. at least for the Phoenix side in terms of asking the questions. So uh, I basically just asked, you know, uh, what or, you know, why were the Lakers awarded a timeout when it appeared they did not have possession of the ball, at least, mm -hmm. at, you know, initially. Uh, and then the second question was uh, who was awarded or, you know, who called the timeout that was awarded and they said LeBron. So uh, just had to cover my basis and, and ask those two questions. But uh, it, it was it was kind of crazy because to me, it, I mean, it's probably the biggest pool report of the season, given the stakes and everything. So for it to be my first one, uh, what well, was kind of nerve wracking. <laughs> <laughs> And, and again, like this has been an insane season for you, right? You, you know, you hurt your Achilles heading into the season. So you're dealing with that. Like, when do you find out you're the poll reporter for that? Like, what, like what, what, like, is that something, you know, going into the game? And then yeah. if that is something, you know, going into the game, you just like hope, like from now on, you gotta be, please don't make a controversial call that I have to ask. That, about, that's what please. I was, that's what I was hoping for. Um, so I was actually the pool reporter for back-to-back -back games. I was the pool reporter for the Houston game as well. Mm -hmm. And I, there was a moment there where I was wondering, like, do I request uh, a pool report on the Ime Udoka LeBron situation? But yeah, I, I didn't think the, the refs weren't going to share what was said. So it, it was kind of yeah. pointless to me uh, of just, you know, a, a coach and a player had a heated discussion and they both were teed up and one, you know, the, the coach already had a technical. So he was ejected like that. It was it was pretty yeah. straightforward to me. But the, the timeout situation, I, I thought was I, I wanted you know, the, the ref to hear the ref's point of view and, and to give them a chance to uh, defend themselves and uh, potentially apologize if they felt it was the wrong call. But obviously they, they doubled down on it and said that uh, upon the review, they felt Austin Reeves had the ball pinned to his leg at the time that LeBron was calling timeout. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, it, it was, it's crazy. I mean, like I've been the pool reporter a bunch of times. I've just never had to do it. Uh, and yeah. sometimes they reject, like the, there was, you know, the, oh. the Shannon Sharp game, uh, I had, mm. I, I was actually the pool reporter for that one. Uh, yeah. and you know, uh, the, the league didn't feel like that because it wasn't a player or a coach or, or, you know, someone affiliated with the NBA that that rose to the level of, of being worth uh, a pool report, uh, with, with regard to Shannon Sharp and, uh, you know, that, that whole situation. So, uh, sometimes, you know, it, it, it doesn't work out in terms of you can request it. And if, if they don't feel it rises to that level, uh, you know, they, they won't or you know accept it but uh last yeah. night i think with the social reaction with it you know of course you know phoenix afterwards it called it go at, both ways too yeah you know well and so, I, I think there's also the context is like i think it'd be one thing if it was like that same sequence happens and the game is maybe tied and then the lakers score and they win the game off of that and then you could directly point to that as being like a turning point whereas like yes it, it did kind of seal the game for the lakers but phoenix would have still had to have scored to tie yeah. the game. And then it likely would have, you know, I mean, they could have made a three, but they make a layup or, or they score a two like that goes to overtime. And I think with the way the game was going, the Lakers had played better 
and probably would have won in overtime. Also, KD and Devin Booker each had five fouls. So, like, yeah, you can play that what if game always. Uh, and and I do think I understand why it's a controversial call, and I, I think I could see why Suns fans and why the Suns were upset. But I don't think even if they had gotten that call reversed, I, I don't know if they necessarily would have won the game. I just have one more question on this. I promise we'll move on. Yeah. If you had a follow-up, right, because apparently you only get the, the, the two questions for uh, the referee there. If you had a follow-up, um, what would it have been? Like, if you had the opportunity to ask and have any question answered, what would your follow-up have been there? It's a good question. I, I honestly don't know. I, I felt like the, 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 first, the main question to me was why they awarded the Lakers the timeout. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, you know, depending on where you stop the footage, uh, like my my sense is when I think LeBron's calling it as Austin still has possession, but when yeah. the ref actually calls the timeout, the ball is loose, and that's yeah. kind of a gray area of like if you're calling t- the time like, between, the, yeah, exactly. Is is it the moment that you're calling the timeout and where's the ball, or is it you know human error, human processing? LeBron's calling timeout. You're trying to maybe look at what's happening with Austin and LeBron at the same time. And that like half second that you wait to reward the timeout, all of a sudden the balls pop loose. And now optically it looks really bad. Like I I get totally optically. I can see like why it's controversial, why it looks bad. But I, I do think if you stop it, you can see LeBron calling the timeout when Austin still has possession but again, mm-hmm. I think they call it once the ball is loose. So maybe, maybe I guess my follow up would have been like that gray area of when a a team is is motioning for a timeout, you know, and if you call it like a half second later, uh, yeah. But the ball pops loose, like, you know, wh- how do you determine if they have possession during that sort of gray area of like a half second? Uh, because in that yeah. instance, it really was a matter of of milliseconds. Well, because I feel like. Like so, when a when a foul is called and it's up against the buzzer, right? Usually in that spot, they will decide to award the foul based off of when the contact happens, not mm-hmm. when the foul is actually called. You know, and I That's feel like point. this would kind of yeah. fall into that category. There yeah. as well, and the other part of it too, like on the backside of the play, maybe Grayson Allen hustles a little bit more if it isn't whistled dead or whatever. But he got the ball really close to the baseline. Like so close that I, I'm not even positive he got to it before it went out of bounds. And now I believe it would have been off of, off of Austin there. But then it kind of depends on if it's like, did Allen have the ball on the baseline when it arrived there or whatever? It's just there's so much going on there. And I don't know, like the, my, my initial take, because Harrison and I went live right after the game. So I missed all of this discourse, basically. And then after I finished recording, I hop on here. I'm like, of course. <laughs> it was an incredible well, game. <laughs> and also there was contact, like there was contact on Austin. And yeah, I think because Devin Booker, Booker and Kevin six. Durant, I mean, they, they both didn't want to foul, obviously, to not foul out. But I also think a combination of, of them both being superstars and the yeah. refs being aware of their foul situation. I think if maybe they have like three or four fouls, potentially there's a foul called mm. there based on the contact to knock yeah. the ball loose. So like in that scenario, I mean, Austin said afterward he felt he was fouled. Uh, yeah. Austin and Darvin kind of, I mean, uh, LeBron and Darvin kind of alluded to that as well. So I think you could also make the case like the Suns got away with some contact that had that been called either Booker, I think more likely Booker, but Booker or Durant is fouled out. And then 
now you're sending Austin, an elite free throw shooter, to the foul line, and that basically ices the game. And and now you're also without one of your two best players. So right. it, it could have gone multiple ways. Like I, I totally get optically. I think in real time, like I thought the ball was loose. Like my initial yeah. reaction, if you asked me, you know, stop freeze frame it right there, seeing it live, it looked like the ball was loose. Like I, I was pretty shocked yeah. at the call. But upon rewatching it, seeing when LeBron was calling the timeout, I do think it was the right call. Uh, but again, the, kind of the bang bang nature, it happening within milliseconds. And them reward, you know, awarding it to the Lakers when the ball was kind of loose. That's where, uh, again, it just—it's not a great look. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, it's it, it. I just think it's it's one of those plays because the other thing too is you almost never see a player awarded a timeout when they aren't involved in the play. You know, usually it has yeah. to be a coach who like sprints out right, sprints onto the court, gets their timeout, or. You know, I I can't really recall very many instances where a player on the other side of the court gets the timeout there. Um, and I can understand why, like, especially with the way that people feel about the Lakers, I can understand why this discourse took place. It was totally predictable, but it was also kind of a bummer because it was such a great game. You know, it was. It, yeah, it took away from it, what was a great game. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you had mentioned the Lakers playing better um, to that point in the game. And one of the reasons I thought that they had played better was they had all of their wings and I thought Darwin used all of their wings. Um, you know, some Jared Vanderbilt, I thought seemed to be clearly still on a bit of a, a minutes restriction. And there was a play where he came up a little limp at one point. Um, Max Christie only got eight minutes, which I didn't necessarily agree with, but at various times throughout that game, because like Gabe wasn't available, the Lakers were huge on the perimeter. And I thought that really gave uh, Phoenix some issues. So, you know, I, you and I talk about all kinds of stuff when we, when we talk about the Lakers, but I, frankly, my favorite thing to talk about is just the basketball. And I, I really think in this case, like just from a basketball perspective, the Lakers may have found their identity, you know, with all of these wings, uh, you play two of them at, at any given time, whether that's with or without LeBron and or AD on the court. I do think last night sent like another message to, to Darvin, like stop playing AD and, or stop playing groups that don't have LeBron and AD out there. Um, yeah. That I thought kind of <laughs> swung the game back in the wrong direction. Yes. Um, <laughs> but it's rock. It's but rocket like, science. <laughs> it's a crazy say. It was, it was funny. They, they sat down, boom, five Oh run. One of them comes back in. They still kind of tread water, but they wind up giving the lead. And then both of them are out there again, bang 11 0 run in, in the Lakers favor. It was just, I don't think basketball is all that complicated, but um, yeah, the, the, the identity though, the, 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 this almost harkens back to that 1920 team that could really just shut teams water off. That was a really good Phoenix offense. And yeah, they were missing Bradley Beal or whatever, but Grayson Allen was playing out of his mind. He was making pull-up threes. Uh, Eric Gordon knocked down some shots. I thought, uh, KD was out of his mind for, for large chunks of the game. Devin played kind of a bad game by his standards, but I really kind of think it, it, it comes down to cam is a long mobile wing. Jared Vanderbilt has one of the best motors in the league and Max Christie. I think we're kind of watching him, uh, become a really good perimeter defender. So what are the chances you think that the Lakers kind of acknowledge that this is their, this, this might be their identity here moving forward? Yeah, well, I I think they're acknowledging it. I mean, 
Christian Wood DNP CD last night. I thought that mm-hmm. was very telling of how much the Lakers have talked him up since the summer and uh, you know talked about the the big role that he's going to have and, and the big role that he has had at times, including against these very Phoenix Suns uh, yeah. earlier in the season, defending Kevin Durant at times, which is kind of crazy in retrospect that like the Lakers yeah. were closing games with Christian Wood on Kevin Durant as opposed to having Jared Vanderbilt available having the confidence in Cam Reddish or the confidence in Max Christie. Uh, Cam obviously played a big role in that second uh, Phoenix matchup. Uh, That was the the, the game that he uh, entered the starting lineup. But I think we've seen it these last couple games now. And really, it's been trending this way throughout the season. I I think we've seen flashes and and glimpses of it. But right now, I I think it's clear. Like, I mean, if we're ranking the Lakers' best players in in order uh, from 1st to 14th, uh, I do think Jackson Hayes and Christian Wood are pretty low on that list. And yeah. I think you're kind of seeing now it's it's sort of like one of those guys can be an eight to 12 minute backup, but the rest of the time it's it's going to be 80 at the five or maybe some smaller lineups with LeBron or Rui at the five. And then the rest of it's just all wings with Austin and D'Lo at you know the one. Uh, and then maybe we'll, we'll see what happens when Gabe Vincent comes back at some point. Uh, if, in, in the unknown future, uh, yeah. <laughs> but like it's just an army of wings, and it's it's crazy because we haven't seen this from a Lakers team really since the the 2019-20 season, as you said. But even then, um, yeah, you know th- they didn't have like this is different. They didn't have this level of perimeter size in terms of like uh, I mean like coups and and like like I think they had a little bit more front court size at like the four or five spots, but yeah, uh, not like a, a Max Christie, a Cam Reddish, a Vando. Uh, a root like these guys that can play uh, even a Torian's big for like a shooting guard uh like so I I think that just level of of size and length and athleticism on the perimeter all of a sudden it's completely remade this this team because we were talking about them kind of being small and uh some of the I mean they started the season with with Torian Austin and D'Lo for uh the the first eight or nine games and it, it just it was a totally different identity and makeup uh, but yeah. now that everyone's healthy, now that you know Darwin has kind of figured out what lineups are working, what combinations are working, uh, I think you're seeing it now where this group is going to win with its defense and it's going to win with the heroics of LeBron, uh, AD, uh, Austin, and, and maybe D'Lo in, in certain situations. Uh, and that's kind of the 2019-20 identity. That group won by being big, uh, by playing smash-mouth basketball, by being an elite defense and then just having enough offensively with LeBron, with AD, and then with role players making some big shots. So I think you're, you're kind of seeing that replicated now and they're looking really, really good. And I, I yeah. think they should probably be the favorites to win the in-season tournament right now. Were they as overwhelming in person as they felt on TV defensively? Because yes. it blew me away. You just don't see teams get 24-second shot clock. The whole reason you employ Kevin Durant is so that you don't get a, a shot clock violation in that spot with two minutes left in the game. I mean, 22 team turnovers for the Suns, uh, seven from Booker, five from Durant, and they had 10 turnovers in the first quarter, which is the most, uh, it's the highest number of turnovers a team has had in a quarter this season period throughout yeah. the whole league. So like that already was, sh- I will say like some of this to me is like Phoenix has to figure this out. Like, like there, there was an element of it of it's a Phoenix problem where like they're yeah. struggling against 
traps and and yes the lakers have size and athleticism and they're playing the passing lanes well and stuff but like some of it was like they're blitzing booker or durant and they're just like throwing it to the closest guy and that's just getting intercepted because it's a, a bad pass or a very obvious pass uh, or so like phoenix or like has D to- is pointing out here like devin booker got got trapped and literally just backed up yes. it was an orlovsky he had an orlovsky in that game it was it- crazy yeah, it, it was. Yeah. So like, I, I do want to say, like, I think some of this was Phoenix clearly has a, a ball handling offensive organization issue right now that I don't know how they're gonna, like, I think Devin Booker is, is improved leaps and bounds as a lead ball handler and as a playmaker, as a passer, but they clearly like at their worst, they're just throwing the ball away. And um, it was kind of crazy because like, I felt like when they were actually able to run their offense, they were getting really good looks and that was yeah. what was keeping the game close was like Lakers ended up taking 27 more shots than the Suns and still only won the game by three. And that was because the Lakers couldn't make anything, but that possession disparity really is what swung the game. Like we could talk about, the, we could talk about the timeout. We can talk about this. We can talk about that, but like Lakers getting 27 more shots because of offensive rebounds and because of turnovers, like that was the difference in this game, in my opinion. Yeah, I, 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 you know, that is a, you know, even, even given some of the issues the Suns have creatively, right? They don't have campaign anymore. I think they really miss him. And uh, Eric Gordon is good at creating for himself, but isn't really a creator for others. Um, so you have Devin Booker basically operating as a point guard. And I think that's, that's kind of limited what they can do um offensively in in creating for everybody out there right at the end of the day you still have kevin durant he was special last night and devin is going to be able to get his shot off against just about anybody um but even that said the way that the lakers basically compound compounded those creative issues i i really think that like you could extend some of the problems that they created against phoenix here against just about anybody because like one thing I noticed last night and, and there have been good clips put up on, on Twitter that showed this LeBron was playing almost like a, a free safety middle linebacker where he was just kind of like putting himself in the middle of the, of, of Phoenix's offense. And he was telling them, he was telling other guys are cam, you can actually move still. So you go stand over there, you know, 80, you pre you pre rotate over there. I'll stand over here. And LeBron is such a genius when it comes to offense. He knows which passes need to be made in order for that offense to operate at its highest levels. And, you know, with the Lakers, if they do continue forward with, with playing this many wings and, and the, and, and, you know, doing maybe a little bit more switching than they have done to this point in the season that allows LeBron to simultaneously kind of save his legs on the defensive side, but still remain impactful. You know, and that's that's pretty that he wasn't even able to do that on the 1920 team because Kuz was their best. I guess you could say Danny Green. Green was better suited to guard kind of smaller wings. Kuz was having to guard like the KDs when they when they happened. So occasionally LeBron had to step in and, and play like legitimate one on one defense here on this team, though, he can play that free safety role and. And that's like, that's not something we've really seen him do much. We know AD is great at it. And I think if, if they're able to unlock that with both of those guys, I, I just don't know how you score on an engaged LeBron, like a, a, a team that has the defensive pieces that the Lakers have 
and a an occasionally more engaged LeBron playing this kind of role, that is uh, really difficult to to score on. And you know, I thought it was it was pretty immediate. Um, the impact that Jared Vanderbilt had on the game, right? It was like three offensive rebounds in his first five minutes. I think he finished with five or something like that. Um, the Lakers yeah, have had yeah. real prop. Yeah, he the Lakers have had real problems with offensive rebounds to this point in the season. They're like in the 22nd, I think, in the league. He immediately helps there. But I also think he sets a tone to where like everybody sees him working that hard. And the Lakers were flying around last night. So that was really exciting to to, to watch that take place there in that setting. Now we'll have to see if they can carry that enthusiasm and discipline forward when there isn't five hundred thousand dollars directly on the <laughs> on the line in that game. Yeah. Um, what what are your thoughts? We'll, we'll we'll quickly hit on the in season tournament. Um, you've been in the arena. Uh, do you have to wear sunglasses for that Lakers court? Like, is that it, it, it is bright? It, it is <laughs> it is radiating yellow all over the arena. I had a text last night and somebody was like, uh. Yeah, what that court has done is really highlight how banana yellow the Lakers have, have like because they're they're like a gold. I will, I will say gold it's better right in there. person than it than it shows up on TV. I, I think okay. it's it's uglier. It's more of like a yellow green on TV, and in person it is a little bit more of that like orangey gold. Uh, but for whatever reason, that the TV cameras pick it up more as like a yellow green. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's it's been in. Uh, kind of an organizational shift away from the gold into banana yellow and it you know it being this isn't a pun highlight highlighted on that court in the way that it is um it, it's, 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 it's tough. <laughs> <laughs> uh i want to talk about um anthony davis because uh now he makes some loud mistakes there at the end of the game some missed layups he split the free throws that kind of kept phoenix in it for like an extra possession or something um but like you know, I was on um, All Access Lakers doing the game with the guys there, and Raj, I think it was Raj, either Raj or Shub, whoever it was, compared the Lakers with all of these wings to the Toronto Raptors, right? And and they were going through the list of names of the guys that, like Pascal Siakam, uh, Scotty Barnes, right, so on and so forth, that those guys are just so elite defensively. And then you have um, Jakob Pertl anchoring the defense, and he's, like, solid. And I was like, yeah, guys. But what's going to make these Lakers special is that you have all of those wings and you have this pterodactyl over here in Anthony Davis who can just swallow up offensive sets. And, you know, this season, I think I think this is the season where we have seen the most oscillation with with AD, where sometimes, he, you know, everybody is super high on him. Other times everybody is super low on him. Last night, he has 20 points and six rebounds at the half. And the TNT guys are like, see, why can't you just do that every night? And I'm like, Shaq, you can, you can say you can do that. Cause you were Shaq. <laughs> like, not everybody else. Nobody else was Shaq. Um, but like, where do you, where do you stand? And where do you think the Lakers stand on, on AD at this point where he does have these swings, but the defense, which is something we are terrible at analyzing has been pretty consistent and it's been pretty consistently elite. What do you see when you watch Anthony Davis play? Well, I think as you're alluding to, like the, the defensive side of the ball is just so difficult to analyze. Uh, yeah. But to me, some of the, like, 
you know, I mentioned some of the the blitzing and the trapping and and the Suns having turnovers that way, but I thought the other primary way that they had turnovers was guys just driving into the paint, seeing Anthony Davis there and deciding, yeah, I'm not going to shoot this and then overpassing or over dribbling and then having the Lakers wings uh, you know, rotate over and, and that's when you could anticipate passing lanes or you could knock the ball loose from somebody from behind. So like there's all these things where that doesn't show up in Anthony Davis's block shots. That doesn't show up in his rim protection numbers. Uh, there's no like goals saved or, or something like, like a goalie. Yeah, it'd be with a fun stat, metrics. right? Uh, like scares but, on a, on a court. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I mean, to me, he'd be, I don't know if he'd be the league leader, but he'd be in that conversation of like top three, top five. And like, there's just so many little yeah. plays like that, that, so I think the the average you know uh, fan will watch that and maybe Cam comes from behind and like swipes the ball loose and it's like mm-hmm. oh you know great defense by Cam he he knocked the ball loose and yes on, on the one hand that is true but on the other hand what allowed that ball handler or you know what forced the ball handler to hesitate and to think twice about going up for the layup was Anthony Davis and just the and like yeah. you see that kind of progressively of I think teams kind of start with their game plan. They'll try to attack the rim and AD will, will block a, sh- a couple shots. He'll alter some shots. And then progressively throughout a game, they will stop attacking the rim and they will look at, yeah. okay, if AD's there, we are not taking this to him. Like we are going to kick the ball out. You know, we'll dribble through the lane, reset. And last night, I think Phoenix had several turnovers of that variety. Uh, but I think, look, like the, the one knock on him has been the offensive consistency. I think it's it's a nuanced discussion of the Lakers can do a better job of involving him and, and you know offensive organization, running more sets for him. Uh, AD can do a, a better job of being more aggressive and assertive. And there's nights like last night where he just is missing shots that he normally makes and he kind of has an off night uh, from an offensive perspective. But overall, uh, I don't think there's much to complain with. Uh, with, with him yeah. and you know he, it, I feel like it, it's kind of unfortunate for him because he's held to a certain standard of he's compared directly to uh, Nikola Jokic Joel Embiid Giannis Antetokounmpo and those guys I, I think are just at a different level offensively like I, I think we just yeah. have enough of a sample size where like those guys are more reliable offensively they're more involved in their offenses and on a night-to-night basis those guys are, are going to give you more offensively but I think AD is the best defender of, of the four. Like Giannis can can probably push him on that, but on a night to night basis, I, I don't think anyone has as much on their plate defensively as Anthony Davis. Uh, and you know, maybe I'm, I don't know, Rudy Gobert or or Bam or or Giannis. Like th- there are some guys in that conversation, Draymond. But like for the most part, uh, and especially when the Lakers didn't have their wings, a lot of their defense was just funneling everything to AD and having him clean yeah. up messes. And and again, be an intimidator, block shots, get deflections, and, and just really scare guys away from the rim. So to me, like I think his defense is incredibly underrated, even with the people acknowledging that he's an elite defender. And then offensively, like I think it gets a little bit blown out of proportion. Like, yes, there are some nights where he's just settling for jumpers or he, he's not being aggressive enough. And like he can be more consistent on that. And I'm not gonna let him off the hook there. But also part of it is an offense issue just overall for the Lakers. And, and teams just aren't respecting his shot. And until he kind of figures that out, I mean, he's shooting career lows and uh, you know mid-range field goal percentage. And just, his jumper's been bad this season. And as long as yeah. that continues, I think there is going to be a ceiling to his offensive game. But I think people, for whatever reason, tend to focus on what he can't do versus what he can do. 
And what he can do is be a borderline top 10 guy as arguably the best defender in the league. Yeah. What he does defensively. And it's again, I I'm in people who've been listening to me on whatever show that they have listened to me on the idea that the Lakers can have so many wings that they can make the game defensively easier for Anthony Davis. Like that actually, I think is going to unlock him. Like I thought we saw it last night where um, early in the game, he was dunking the ball, right? He was getting the ball in, in, in these clutters and he was rising up and he was dunking. And then later in the game, you saw him turn those dunks into layups. And, and I think that's where when you're shooting a layup contact is going to affect you a little bit more and you aren't going to get the call because you aren't going up as strong as you were earlier in the game. And that's where he gets those misses. But you know, if the Lakers are able to do a little bit better job of walling off some of that, the, uh, some of that perimeter uh, penetration that, that has been really kind of making him work about as hard as anybody in the league to this point defensively, maybe just maybe that, that unlocks him a little bit on the other side of the court. And he has a little bit more energy to, to make a more kind of traditional impact um, in ways that like fans can notice more right with him scoring and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I, I thought last night was, was kind of a perfect encapsulation of AD where uh, he was overwhelming in the first half. And then he kind of went away a little bit in the second half, but while he was going away, he was still wrecking Phoenix's defense. And the focus is always going to be on him going away offensively. When in reality, you ask anybody on that Phoenix team, hey, what's it like to try to score against Anthony Davis? And they'll tell you, that sucks. <laughs> this guy this guy is a legit seven feet tall. He can jump about as well as anybody else on the court. He has great feet, you know, and, and, and is very good at getting down um, and bending his knees defensively. He's a special defensive player. And yeah, if the Lakers do stick with this with this wing identity, I, I I can't wait for what that means for for AD. Um, if they do stick with that identity, and we have a few minutes here left, uh, if they do stick with that identity, I think there are some guys that don't necessarily fit with that approach, right? D'Angelo Russell, I, I I think is is the name that has come up regardless uh, to this point in trade talks, just because when he signed his deal. <laughs> I, I believe I think I have this right when he signed his deal he already waived his his uh uh trade bonus or no clay no trade clause or something like that correct um, yeah. if, if you sign a one plus one you get an implied uh yeah. no trade clause and the new stipulation with the CBA it. is that you uh, it used to not be waivable but for uh the, the new CBA rules it was waivable he chose to waive it which I think was kind of a, a wink wink from both sides of like yeah, you know we're gonna give you more money than because I think had he tested free agency, he probably would have just been a uh, non-taxpayer MLE guy, which would have been about 12, 13 million a year. So Lakers are like, we'll give you more than you can get on the open market, but uh, as you know, part of that, we want you to waive this no trade clause, and we can move you uh, if we decide to. It, it, that's why it's been funny all year. It's like, why do you always talk about trading D'Angelo Russell? Why do you always trade about trading D'Angelo Russell? It's like the deal he signed was to be traded. Like that's yes, <laughs> that's why. Um, but so you 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 had that game last night, and it was another game in a long string of games that have like any kind of raised stakes. And I think 
D'Angelo Russell has a pretty mixed bag with more of those games being on the side of he gets played off of the court, right? He didn't finish last night's game. Obviously, was really bad in last year's Western Conference Finals. Did have some good games against Golden State uh, when they played them and and somewhat in, in Memphis. And, and frankly, when he is playing well, the Lakers are basically unbeatable, I think. Um, but that is a gamble that I don't think the Lakers are, are interested in, in making. And with the way that Austin is is controlling the ball late in these games anyway, I don't know if it makes him much, you know, very much sense to have 16, $17 million of your cap devoted to a guy who won't be playing in those spots. Um, I also think with, you know, the way that Cam has played this year and uh, with what we have seen from Max and obviously what Vanderbilt brings as well and uh, Darvin Ham's reliance on Torian Prince, that maybe there might not be the, the, uh, yeah, you picked up on that. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, how about over reliance? <laughs> I'll, I'll add the over in there. I appreciate that. Um, him coming back into the game last night was just wild. I I, I was sitting there watching I, the game. I, I mean, look, like, <laughs> I mean, look, Lakers played great defense overall. The forced yeah. Phoenix in a lot of turnovers. Kevin Durant was twelve for seventeen, and I don't have the the matchup numbers uh, at my fingertips right now, but. I believe a majority of those makes were against Torian Prince and yeah. several of those misses were against Jared Vanderbilt. Like I, I thought, yeah, I know Vando was on a minutes restriction, but the, the difference between Torian Prince defending KD and Jared Vanderbilt guarding uh, KD was night and day in my opinion. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, you can maybe, if you want to, depending on what player the Lakers would be looking to get back, maybe you throw Prince in there instead of Rui so that you have a piece of this team here moving forward. Right. Chances are the Lakers are going to lose Cam Reddish in this upcoming offseason because he's outplayed his uh, minimum contract. So maybe it makes some sense to trade uh, Prince if possible and not Rui. That way you have one of these wings coming back next year alongside Jared Vanderbilt and, and Max Christie. But yeah, well, you um, you had talked, I think, with, with Jason on Hoops tonight uh, about the, the Levine, Caruso, DeMar DeRozan situation. I think as we get later into the year, um, the 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 list of names that the Lakers are going to be interested in. I saw a funny report from Shams Karania today that the Knicks are 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 uh, keeping an eye on the market. And it's like every single team in the league is keeping an eye on the market. But yeah, I, I think um, where where do you think things stand with Russell at this point? Like. One thing I've heard some whispers about is that it has become a little too obvious that Russell is probably moving on at the deadline. Have you heard anything about that with, with Russell at this point? I mean, I, I don't think it's a secret. Like I, I think yeah. as you stated earlier, like the, the way the Lakers structured his contract two year deal player option second year. So he can test the market next summer if he has a good year, which I, I think he has a good year. Like I, I think um, I know the, the D stands have, have come for me at times because I've been critical of him. Like I think, I think he had a really bad playoff series against Denver. I think there's been some revisionist history of how good he was in the first two rounds. Mm -hmm. I think the numbers in the aggregate were, were solid, but if you actually go back and watch some of those games, it was more like a good quarter out of four quarters or maybe two mm -hmm. good quarters out of four quarters. And like D'Lo so explosive offensively that he can drop 15 and a quarter, 
and he'll get 19, 20 points that game. But the other three quarters, he's not really impacting it, and he's a target defensively. So uh, I, I think you know that that goes back to more last postseason. This this season, I think he's he's been really good. Um, you know, I, I know it's kind of him versus Austin. Like they're kind of naturally pitted against each other. Uh, yeah. which is the makeup of this group. And I'll say on the aggregate, I think he's been better than Austin, all things considered yeah. uh, this season. Uh, but as you said, just the, the way that their contracts are structured, like Austin is on a value contract. Austin Reeves at 12 to $13 million a year for the next several seasons is a crazy value that the Lakers yeah. would be foolish to give up on. Uh, so just based on the way their contracts are structured, the team controlled nature of them, like you know, whether you think Delo is better than Austin or Austin's better than Delo, Austin is on a better contract for the Lakers, a better contract to keep. You know, t- again, taking aside their talent, how they fit, all that stuff. So just in that, you know, through that lens, it would be wise for the Lakers to keep Austin Reeves. And if they have to move one of them, which they likely will have to, it should be D'Angelo Russell. And that's the way that they approached the the negotiations this past summer. And that's been the plan. Uh, moving forward now I will say I think with the way that D'Lo has played and, and the way like some guys we see them struggle in the playoffs with a, a particular team and they come back a shell of themselves or it kind of extends mm-hmm. into the following yeah. season that has not been the case for D'Lo like yes he had a bad game last night uh he played bad against them like I, I think he's kind of played bad in some of the bigger games this season but uh I still think overall he's, he's been pretty good and I think from the Lakers side there is a um I think it's become more palatable to potentially keeping him if for whatever reason, the right deal isn't there. That said, I still think it's more likely than not that he is moved uh, by the February trade deadline. Uh, and, and then with the bull stuff, like, um, you know, I think it's going to be a, 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 a long process for the Lakers in terms of like actually getting a deal done. Rui isn't eligible to be traded until January 15th. So yeah. if they are including him, which they might have to just based on salaries, uh, you know, that wouldn't be until mid-January at the earliest. Uh, so from my understanding, they're more likely to make a trade later in the trade window versus sooner. And I mean, that's just kind of how it tends to go anyway. And most trades don't happen until mid-January or later. Uh, so sure, there could be a trade that comes about that they love, but um, I don't think it's going to be a Zach Levine trade necessarily. Uh, I think the Lakers would try to hold on to as many assets as possible in a potential Zach Levine trade. Uh, whereas a potential DeMar DeRozan, Alex Caruso trade, I think that's where you start to see them being more willing to potentially give up better assets and that type of deal because DeMar's an impending free agent. Alex Caruso has a $3 million partial guarantee next year, which they obviously would guarantee. Then you have him at a $10 million salary for next season. So like just structurally, those contracts are much better than Zach Levine, who's making... 138 million over the next three years. So uh, I think in terms of fit, I mean, Alex Cruz was the best fit of the three for sure. You could debate the Mar versus Zach, but when factoring in the, the contracts, when factoring in the uh, the injury history with Zach, I think you can make the case that the Mar is just a better value, uh, even though he is older and a worse shooter. Uh, so I think with that, like the, the Chicago stuff is still weeks away and, and more likely to me, if something happened, it would likely be Zach getting traded elsewhere uh, and then the Lakers, Chicago kind of having a fire sale. Lakers come in and, and try and get Caruso or, and or DeRozan. And or is interesting. Um, but I, I think the I was watching last night's game and, and I was thinking to myself, like, man, if you put Caruso on this defense that is already giving Phoenix those kinds of issues, 
I don't know how teams score against that. Like I, I legitimately, well, and, and I think I'm, in that, in that case, you, you put Caruso on Booker and you put, cause yeah, they, I mean, I thought it was telling, like they kind of, you kind of had to pick between Booker and Durant and they put reddish on Booker and, mm-hmm. and Prince on Durant. And like on some level you can make the case, okay, Booker's the primary ball handler. You're going to disrupt the offense. Like he had more turnovers than KD. Uh, so like maybe you want to deploy uh, reddish that way. But to me, I thought it was a little telling of like, they almost, they were more afraid of, of Booker than KD, yeah. but you don't have to make that choice necessarily. If you have Caruso, like you can put him on, on Booker, put reddish on Durant. And now you can kind of match up with any two through four wing combination, uh, you know, be it the Suns, the Clippers, the Celtics, like any of those teams that have like two or three all-star level guys, you now have the, the the weapons to throw at them. Whereas right now, I think as long as Torian is factoring heavily in, I know some of the numbers say he's been good defensively. Like to me, I test just is not passing it. He's too, yeah. like he's too small compared to KD. He's got five or six inches uh, you know, smaller than him. Like I, I don't think that's a great defensive match. He dies on screens. Um, like he just, so, every time he gets, every time he gets screen, I'm like, are you okay? It, it plugs that you, like guard. You... I, I still think they have like a, an act, like more of a guard defensive hole where like yeah. we're talking about wings and like like a De'Aaron Fox I still think is is a tough matchup for the Lakers um whereas you, you have Caruso I think that kind of it's the last kind of hole in the defense in my opinion is still kind of like that point guard point of attack spot yeah and and look getting Caruso is going to be tough every basically yes. playoff contender has their eye on him the Bulls started the season in some of the conversations I had around the league saying it doesn't matter if Levine gets traded. It doesn't matter if a fire fire sale happens. Caruso is too valuable and on too great of a contract. There's a chance that the bulls still hold on to him, basically. Um, so it's going to cost, you know, I, I, I remember, I, I remember laughing out loud when I saw Lakers fans start to wonder like, Hey, maybe Caruso could be a throw into the Levine deal. I'm like, no, no. Levine would wind up being a throw into the Caruso deal based on the conversations that are held around (laughs) two guys in the league. So getting him is going to be very difficult, but I do think like the last part of, of the Lakers interest in Caruso would be kind of an admission of whoops. We probably shouldn't have let that guy get away. Do you think, do you think that is something that Rob Polinka would be interested or willing in doing? Uh, I mean, I, I don't want to speak for him, uh, obviously, so I, I don't want to put put words in his oh, mouth. For sure. But I, I, yeah. I do think that there there is an admission like it's been um, I, I think it's been a, a thorny topic around the organization. Uh, you, you talk to three different people, you're going to get three different answers, three different perspectives on how that all went down. Uh, yeah. So I, I think uh, I mean, the the. Like the best thing you could do is learn from a situation and and uh, try and right the wrong. And it obviously, you know, they clearly uh, undervalued how good he was, how important he was. Um, I think he's only gotten better since then. And as you're saying, like I think he's the type of guy that you can plug into basically any contender, and he's going to slot in at you know 26 to 30 minutes a night. He, he can start. He can come off the bench. Uh, he can play yeah. next to stars. Uh, you know, he, he kind of reminds me of like a better version of what Patrick Beverly was when, when he was in Houston of just like mm-hmm. that defensive minded guard who can play off the ball, do some secondary playmaking uh, and, and really just like fits perfectly next to a star wing star ball handler. We saw how well he fits next to LeBron. Uh, I think an Austin Reeves, Alex Crusoe backcourt would break the Internet. 
uh, it would at least break <laughs> Lakers Twitter. Uh, but to your point, I mean, it's going to be a high yeah. price. Like, uh, you know, two, two first round picks has been thrown around. I, I think that might be a little too high. I, I don't know if they're yeah. going to get that, but like, I, I don't, I don't know if you're gonna be able to protect a first round pick to get Alex Crusoe, which is kind of a wild statement, but Hey, I mean, he's one of the best defensive guards in the league, uh, made an all defense team last year and it is going to be in the mix again this season. Yeah, it, he's it's been wild watching his ascent, right? Like I I was very high on him, you know, a, you know, a few years back and and that was like a a real big topic in hipster Lakers Twitter, right? Was like, "Hey, can we get this guy some more minutes? Like, can we see what this looks like?" And in and, and none of us, I can tell you, saw first team all NBA defense in his future. Um Jovan, this has been an absolute blast. I want to get out of the way and 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 make sure you plug everything that you're doing. You do great work at the Athletic um, and, and I have been checking out the stuff that you've been doing with Tim on hoops tonight, but anything else specifically you want to get to? Uh, yeah, just, uh, plug in my, my social handles. I'm trying to create more, uh, video content on, on Twitter, on TikTok, YouTube, uh, Instagram. So at Yovan Buha on all those platforms, uh, you know, please be sure to check out my work on the athletic, uh, recently had a. Uh, 10 things, 10 observations from the first 20 games uh, already. Several things have changed, so it might be slightly outdated, but I'm trying to keep a pulse on like some of the bigger picture themes uh, each week with, with the Lakers and um, yeah, be uh, so social and uh, at the athletic and that's about it. Awesome. Thank you very much, man. This has been a, a blast uh, for shows Closing out the week, I'll have Aaron tomorrow, and then we'll do our happy hour on Friday. So until then, and until the next time you guys hear from me, I'm Anthony Irwin saying, hey, safe travels to Vegas, man. That's, you know. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.